we love that this has been spoiled for us. We know how things end. We know we get to be with you. And so as we, as we uh, approach the end of the 50 days of heaven that we have here, we pray that in our minds, in our thinking, it, it continues on, that we continually set our minds on things above instead of things here. So um, would you help us do that today? Would you help me? Um, I know I'm going to need it. So uh, be with us. Open our hearts up. Open your word up. Help us respond with humility. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, whoa. So, so, <laughs> um, this is the end of the 50 days of heaven for our, our series. It's not the end of heaven, though. Um, I hope that this becomes something that is uh, a, a mindset for you. So, but if you're coming in at the last sermon in this series, uh, this is, this is kind of going to be application. So that, that's kind of where we're landing here. Now, there's going to be some good doctrine stuff here, too. D- don't get me wrong. But, but th- th- we're kind of ending on a, so what now, what next, after considering heaven this many days, um, I've, I've gotten a lot of questions. I've gotten questions like, couldn't we do this series longer? Uh, others that say, um, I'm very happy knowing I'm going to go to heaven. I've got enough information as it is, you know. So, so there's, there's all different responses on the spectrum of how people think about heaven. We all want to be there, though. That, that's the common, I think, response. But today, what I'd like to do is kind of give a word of application. How do we keep this momentum going in our own hearts? Uh, so some of you have thought about things that you probably never thought about before, really. And you've gone deeper in some places you, you've never gone. And so how do you keep that going? So what I want to do is we're going to look at Colossians and, and get an answer to that question. So um, you've been all sitting for a while. How about we stand as we look at Colossians 3 today? Grab a Bible, either your own or the one in front of you in the, in the seat. And would you turn to Colossians chapter 3? Verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You may be seated. We're going to camp out. Really, this is a two-point sermon. We're going to camp out in verses 1 through 4 a little bit, uh, but we will get to that that last longer section as well. Uh, So I'm going to read it again. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Here's here's the thing. We have to be seeking things above. When you look at somebody, sometimes you see them looking down. And and, and when when we think about Earthly things more than heavenly things, it changes our demeanor. You know, we're looking down. It's a defeated posture. But looking up is what we're called to, to seek the things above. So if I want to think about those things, if I want to seek those things, if I want to think like heaven more often now and let that change me, how do I do that? How do I get there? Um, I said at the beginning, and I'll say it again, I do not believe that people that think about heaven are of no earthly good. I, I don't. You talk about people having their head in the clouds. Well, heaven's not clouds, right? I mean, heaven's a place, and if I'm thinking about heaven, if I'm thinking about Jesus, that changes how I act here. I set my mind on things there so that it changes how I'm acting here. You're not, more, you're not worthless because you're thinking about heaven too much. You're actually worth more. And I believe if you talk to people who think about heaven more, you'll see it more in their life. I think the people that think about heaven less, you see that less in their life. So, how do we do it? Well, number one, let's talk about this for a while. Um, If you want to seek the things that are above, if you really want to seek those things out, you have to have an understanding of your heavenly identity. A, A big answer to this is heavenly identity. And and that is, if you're taking notes, you can be aware that every day you're forever united to Christ. Forever united to Christ. When it says your life is hidden with Christ in God, that means you are connected. When you became a Christian, God connected you to Jesus. So you died with Him on the cross and you were raised with Him. You're with Him. Now where is He at? Now this passage says He's seated at the right hand of God. And often in Scripture, it talks about Jesus being at God's right hand. What does that mean? Well, let me give you four brief ways, brief things to think about when you think about Jesus being at God's right hand. This would be the more doctrinal part of the sermon, you know, kind of digging in a little bit here. What does it mean that Jesus is at God's right hand? Well, A, it means Jesus has supreme honor and authority. Nobody has more authority than Jesus. Uh, Here's the verse for you that talks about that. We can bring that up. Uh, Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him, the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. The idea is, 
If Christ ascended to heaven and is seated there now, ruling from that place, nobody rules from a higher place. Christ is above all the rulers of the earth. He's above Satan and the demons. He's above anybody that has any kind of power. He's above it all. He's at the top place. So he has supreme power and authority. That's what it means by being seated at the right hand. B, next, Jesus has finished the work of salvation. It's done. It's complete. So he can sit down. He can sit down. Here's the passage for that. I think we're going to Hebrews now. Hebrews 10.12 When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. He's, he's sitting because salvation's been purchased. It's done. There's no more sacrifices. There's nothing else to do about sin. He did it. Sin's dealt with. There's victory. It's done. So He can sit. Okay, well how about C? Uh, Jesus continually ministers on our behalf. It's very encouraging to think about Jesus being right next to the Father because this is a place of ministry. It's a place where He can talk to God about you. It's a place where He can pray for you. Let's get the verse up for that. Now the point what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. The point is, you have somebody right next to God the Father. I mean, they're both God. They're different members of the Trinity. But He's right next to God. And when you mess up, He can pray for you right there. He can pray before you say anything. He's right there. Sometimes sometimes we, you know, we get in a mess, we make a mistake, and we pray, Oh, Lord, Lord get me out of this. This, this, is, this is hard. Or, or something's going on. But, but Jesus is right there, and He's praying too. He sees what's going on in your life. And He's ministering on your behalf. And oh, by the way, His prayers don't have to travel very far. He's right next to God the Father. It's a place of ministry. So, so His work of salvation is done, but His work of ministering on your behalf is not done yet. He's still concerned about you, and He's still ministering to you. Uh, and then D, finally, uh, Jesus is God. Not anybody gets to sit at the right hand of God, but Jesus the Son does. And so when, when, when people praise God in heaven, they're praising the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. He, he's right there. Here's the verse for you. Another Hebrews one. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is not just a divine being like an angel. He is, in fact, God, and only God can stand at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. So to be in that spot is a claim to deity in this case. Now, Jesus is there. And, and Paul's saying, I want you to think about him. I want you to set your minds where he's at. You're united to Him. And so we could read like in Ephesians where we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And, and, and that, that verse always drove me crazy. Like, how can I be seated with Christ if I'm here on earth? Like, my body's here, my soul is here. I'm not there yet. I'm not in heaven yet. But Paul can say, in some way, you are so connected to Jesus 
you are so connected to him, you are so united to him, that if he's there, you're there too already. I mean, and, and that, that just, that ought to blow your mind. If Jesus is there and you're connected to Jesus, you're there at the right hand of God as well. One day you will rule with Christ. You're so connected to him. Your identity is so bound up with Jesus is that if he's there, you're there. Now, I'm not saying that you are God, because that would be heresy, but you're so connected that, that God wants you to inherit something similar to what he wants his son to inherit. We're, we're co-inheritors. That, that's crazy, but we are. Now, I know we're connected. Let me put it like this. Did you ever, um, did you ever see that movie? Uh, it's, I, I would say it's the last of the Rocky movies. The movie Creed that came out recently. Um, it, it follows the same formula as all the Rocky movies do. So if you haven't seen it, you kind of you know it already, right? You know he's got to he's got to go to that last fight. He's got to train and get ready. But but this movie is very interesting because it's a young man, young African American man named Donnie. His mother dies and he doesn't know who his father is. And he's getting in fights and he's getting put into different places. He's always getting in trouble. He's always hitting some kid. And along comes a woman who says, "I know who your father is." Your father was my husband, and I want to take you in. So the husband was Apollo Creed from the first Rocky movie, um, the great boxer. And I want to take you in. So she takes him in, and he discovers that his identity is connected to the fact that he's this great boxer's son. So then he become, wants to become a boxer. And, and a lot of movies follow this line of thought of a person who doesn't know who they really are, and then they're told who they are, and then they start living who they are, right? I mean, it's a very common movie theme. And this is what we're supposed to get. If I'm connected to Christ, Christ is in me and I'm in Christ, I can start living like Christ. My identity is in Christ. But this is the problem. And I think it's a problem in the movie. When you see Donnie as a young man, he's getting into fights because he doesn't know who he is. He's not aware of his, his true father. Satan is an identity thief. And he wants to steal your identity. Whose voice is that that tells you you're a loser? Whose voice is that that tells you you're going to keep committing this sin for the rest of your life? Who is it that tells you that you are unlovable? That is the identity thief. If if God says, I'm uniting you to my son then wouldn't it make sense that Satan's plan is to say, I'm going to remind them of who they used to be. I'm going to remind them of who they are apart from Christ. I'm going to try to tell them that they're not loved. So some of you have a tape playing in your mind over and over. It just winds and winds and winds and winds. If you're a young person, that would be an MP3. Um, And it it just plays. It's on repeat on the iPod. How about we do that? Sorry about the tape analogy. It just plays and plays and plays and plays, and it's telling you all sorts of things that are not true about yourself. But your life is actually hidden, it says in Colossians 3. It's hidden with Christ in God. That means you stand behind Christ's glory. Hidden means it's kind of like safety and security. It's totally hidden. Like you think about Nazi Germany and, and, and the 
and the people that hid Jewish people in their homes. You think of Corrie ten Boom's story? They hid people in their homes to save them from Nazis that were, they were coming by and trying to find them. And our life is hidden. It's hidden. It's safe. Satan doesn't get to win these battles. He doesn't have to win these battles because you know who you really are. Your life is, is hidden with Christ in God. There is a sense that you stand behind the glory of Christ. And, and, and for those of you that, that you know you're a believer and, and life is really good and, and, and you're living out your faith and, and, and you feel really confident, the challenge for you is maybe you don't have that record playing in your head. Let me tell you what your challenge is. Can you just stand behind the glory of Christ and not make it all about you? Right? Can you just not make it about you? And just stand behind His glory and make it about Him. Make it about Him. I'm glad you're confident. I don't want to take your confidence away. But make this about Him. Now, that's an awesome truth. What God says about you and stopping the tape and getting rid of the identity thief, that's a big deal. Now let's imagine you're living that out now. And you're like the Colossian church. You want people to know you're a believer. You, you, you want people to see it. So what is, your fo- what is your focus on now? Now here's the problem. Paul would say your focus is to set your minds on things above. The problem is sometimes in the church we set our minds on things below. Some of us get into a rut called uh, sin avoidance. And we think the primary focus then of our spiritual life is to try not to sin. Let me tell you where that leads. If you look at Colossians 2, it's the chapter before, we, the one we just read. Uh, and, and we'll do like verse 16. The Colossian church had a problem, and, and we would call that problem legalism, even though that's not a word used here. Whether you use the word legalism or not, there's kind of two varieties of it. There's two shades of it here. I'll show you the two shades of legalism here. Verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are but a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Some people thought they had to follow the Old Testament law, and they were going to keep the law, and that would make them acceptable to God. And so there was foods you couldn't eat, stuff you couldn't drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths, you know. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't have to... That, that's not part of this Christian thing. There is a change now with the, with the dietary laws. There's still moral laws that carry over from the Old Testament. That's pretty clear as well. But some of this stuff, let me, let, me, let me summarize it. If you try to obey God based on your own power to earn His favor, that is wrong. That's pride. And pride's, I mean, you, you'll meet people and, and, and they're going to be so moral and God hates it because it's full of pride. I mean, being moral and, and having pride about it is no better than being immoral. They just look a lot better. They look good when they show up to church. If you're doing this to earn favor with God, you've got it all wrong. Christ paid for your sins. That's the only way you're acceptable to God. But there's, another, there's another shade of legalism here. I want to show it to you as well. Um, it says, um, you, uh, verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used 
according to the human precepts and teachings. This is key. According to human precepts and teachings. These have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Uh, You get what he's saying here? Some people just need rules. And, and, and And they want to follow God, so they make a whole bunch of rules and say, if you follow rule A, B, C, and D, you're in. These are the important rules. But the problem is none of that stuff that says here stops the flesh. They're just rules. So some of you come from a background where, and I've heard you say this, and I heard this growing up uh, in, in, in a church, uh, you don't uh, smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Or was it dance, smoke, and chew or go with girls that do? You don't do that. You know, we kind of like try to summarize our, our, our standards into three or four things and say this is where we draw the line. Sometimes dress code is brought into this. If you dress this way, I mean, this is what spiritual people do, and we try to put a rule on it, even though there's no rule in the Bible. There's no rule in the Bible about that, but we want this to be. So here's the problem. I, I just summarize this by saying, if your focus in this life is to avoid sin, if that's the main focus of your spiritual life, avoid sin, you've missed it. Because you're looking down and you're looking at the sins and you're saying, I can't do that, that, that. I've got to make sure I don't do that. I've got to create rules to make sure I don't even get close to that. What is the main focus of your spiritual life? And it's easy. It's one word. It's a Sunday school answer. It's Christ. Which is why he can say in the middle of all these rules that we just read, verse 19, not hold, this is 219 by the way, chapter 219, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished, knit together with its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth from God. Which is why in chapter 3 it says, uh, set your mind, seek the things above where Christ is. If you're not looking at the beauty of Christ, you're going to find this beauty looking pretty good. Okay? It's going to look good, and you're going to say, I need rules, I don't want to do this bad earthly stuff. But if you don't look up, this stuff's going to look pretty good. That's what I'm saying. If you're not looking at the beauty of Christ, the beauty of earthly stuff that you're trying to say, no, no, sin avoidance, sin avoidance, looks so good, I've got to avoid it. But if you're not looking at Him, you're looking too much at that. If you're not looking at the beauty of Christ, the beautiful, sinful things in this world look a lot better. Which is why He can say, this is kind of an interlude, by the way, uh, before I get to my last point. Um, it's a sinful interlude. Call it that. Um, someone write that in your notes. Uh, verse 5. Uh, put to death, this is chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you lived at them. Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He has a whole big list. But, but this is it. You've got to kill those things. You just got to kill them. Um, when I grew up, I watched one of the saddest movies ever made, Old Yeller. And, uh, you know, they don't make movies like that, do they? It just They just don't. They leave you on a downer. And yet, as an adult, I can appreciate it. You've got this dog that's beloved by this boy, and, and, and then by the end of the movie, the dog gets rabies. And, and, and he's snarling and growling and wants to bite and, and, and he's infected. 
And the boy has to make that hard decision. The boy has to do it. The boy has to go get the gun. The boy has to put the dog down. This says put to death whatever's of that earthly nature, the sinful nature. Then he lists a whole bunch of things. Kill it. The problem being, sometimes we look at those things and we don't want to shoot them. We'd much rather keep the dog in the basement and throw down the table scraps. Just just keep it alive a little bit. Just, just keep it going. But if you've watched the movie, what you kind of feel like, especially as a man I feel this as I think about that scene, that boy is taking steps to manhood by having to shoot his dog. And so we grow up when we say, okay, I'm going to kill these sins. I'm going to kill them. They're done. Because they're vicious, they're dangerous, and I can't keep them alive out in the barn. I've got to shoot them. So let me ask you this. When it comes to your sins, and I know mine, you know yours, I don't know yours, would you say that you've shot them? Have you shot them yet? Just putting it out there. Would you say you killed them? Because if you haven't, chances are you're feeding them table scraps. And they will bite you. By the way, uh, even though Paul doesn't say it here, he says it in a lot of other places, I've been crucified with Christ. I can kill those things because actually I died with Jesus on the cross. I'm so connected to Jesus that when he died, I died there too, so I can kill those things. Those things don't define me. In fact, I'm going to kill them. Okay. Finally, lastly, um, you want to take heaven with you into your daily life? I, I did say the primary focus of your spiritual life has to be on Jesus. Please write that down. If it's on anything else, you're going to get it wrong. It's got to be on Jesus. Set your minds on things above where Christ is. Okay. Finally, uh, secondly, is your heavenly character. Your heavenly character. You can choose every day to put on the virtues of heaven. These are the virtues of heaven. If you, we can find them in verse 12. Put on then, like clothing, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Verse 14, love. Verse 15, peace. Verse 16, you could call that truth. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, the truth of Christ. It might be worth noting that after I kill this beast of sin, then I could put my clothes on. Got to kill it, then I can put the clothes on. Um, You put on the virtues of heaven. Let me say it like this. When I went... uh, First Packer game I ever attended. Christmas Day. Man, I wasn't in Peoria with my family. I was at the Packer game. Some of you think that's appropriate, you know. Um, but I, but it was Packers versus Bears. Oh man, and boy did they win that day. Um, and I remember we stayed the night in Appleton because everything in Green Bay was filled, all the hotels. 
And I remember getting up that morning, and I went to uh, Perkins. We need to eat, and then we're going to go to the game. Maybe it was lunch. We were eating at Perkins. And I went in there, and I looked around, and there was people wearing green, people wearing navy blue. And I knew where they were going. They weren't going to Mom and Dad's house. They weren't going to Grandma's house over the river and through the woods. They were going to Lambeau. I knew it. I didn't ask anybody, like, where are you going? Why aren't you with your family? Why aren't you next to a Christmas tree? I knew where they were going. And you would know where they were going, too. They were making a pilgrimage, okay? <laughs> um, but uh, the point being, the way you dress shows where you're going. The way you dress shows where you're going. When you put on the virtues of heaven, people can see where you're going. The church can see where you're going. The world can see where you're going. Put it on. Kindness, compassion, peace, truth, and show people where you're going. Now, um, when I was in high school, uh, one summer I got a job. I, I got a job at the Gap. Please forgive me. Um, and, I, and I went through the interview, the interviewing process. I'm sitting in this mall in Peoria, the Northwoods Mall. Why do they call it Northwoods Mall? I'll never know because we're the Northwoods. Um, but I was sitting in the Northwoods Mall. And I was being interviewed by the manager, and, and, and she was asking me to describe, like, what I was wearing, and, and, and can I tell her about it, or, or uh, she's just asking about clothing in general. And then she said something very interesting. She said, uh, in our store, we have kind of two different kinds of clothes. We have uh, kind of uh, uh, the, the, the trendy, in-fashion clothes, and, and they're on the shelf for a short period of time, because there'll be a new trend next fall. But these are the trendy, this year, look it up, whatever year that was, 1998, you know, whatever the fashion was, 97, th- th- this is what it is. And you can buy those clothes. You can get the discount and buy them, but you ought to keep in mind, next fall, they won't be in fashion anymore. Oh, okay. Then she says, now there's this other group of clothing that you can wear these and you'll be, you'll be in all the time. And, and I felt like she was saying, without saying it, I encourage you to buy the clothes that will be in fashion all the time. You know, don't buy the trendy stuff because next year that will not be the thing. Buy these clothes because these will stay in fashion. We have, we have this. We have the Word of God, and it never goes out of fashion. This is heaven's fashions today. And your goal is to dress like you will for heaven. And you can put that stuff on right now. Or you can follow the trends of the world. And what seems good now will seem different next year. We all see this. We all know we're going through a moral revolution in this country. We see it. And you'll be in fashion for now. And you'll have to change next year. And you'll have to become different next year. And that's the way it goes. Or you dress for heaven. You dress for heaven. And I'll also have you know that none of these fashion trends in in this, these heavenly trends, none of them have to do with you by yourself. At least that I can see. Where I see compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, all these things are stuff I have to do with you. And you have to do with me. We do to each other. If you put on compassion, that changes how you view other people. It may change how you view refugees. If you put on forbearance, that changes how you bear with other people in the church. The people that have hurt you, wronged you, offended you, said something about you. 
It means I've got to treat them differently now. I've got to treat them like heaven would treat them. Oh! Clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with patience. It's all relational stuff. I can't put on heavenly clothes unless I consider how I'm treating everybody else around me. That's it. That's it. You could put on the virtues of heaven. I'll just have you note that most people don't dress up in their finest clothes and stay at home by themselves. They always want to go out and show people what they're wearing. Unless you put on your Packer sweatshirt while you watch the game. I understand that. But, but when you dress up nice, you're going somewhere. You're, you're with people. You want people to see what you're wearing. And may it be that we would be obsessed with people seeing the heavenly virtues that we're wearing just like Christ. Make Him the central focus. So if I can say anything at the end before we bring up the worship team, I'll say this. Um, How much are you looking at Jesus? How much are you looking at Jesus? If, If you have a sin problem, my question to you is not just about the sin. My main question to you is, are you looking at Jesus? Are you opening your Bible up and reading about Him? Because how are you ever going to give up that sin unless you know there's something more beautiful right in front of you? How will you ever do that? Let me pray for you. Worship team, come on up. Father, we, uh, we love you. We love your Son. Thank you that we're connected to Him forever. Thank you that our salvation is safe and secure, hidden in Christ. I pray that as a result of these last 50 days, that we would be more and more a people who set our minds on things above. When we see the results of the election, that we'd set our minds on things above. And when we have a problem with someone in church, that we would set our minds on things above. When we see the sin in our life, we'd set our minds on things above. Where you are, Christ. Where we are, even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.